This is Crypto Radio, powered by MoneyWeb, where we discuss all things crypto-related. Your host, Kieran Ryan. There was huge interest in a MoneyWeb story last week explaining how altcoin trader founder Richard D'Souza bought a house for 650,000 Rand on the West Rand. And he did it in a rather unconventional way. He used Ethereum as collateral to borrow money to buy a house. And it took him just 10 minutes to apply for the loan through a platform known as Oasis.app. And that offers crypto-based financial services, including loans. Quite a fascinating story. Richard ended up paying far less for the house than originally anticipated. In fact, he only paid about 200000 for a house that was listed at a selling price of 650000 There are no monthly repayments. You can settle a loan at any time you like. It can be in 20 years. It can be in 40 years. And we thought it would be a good idea for Richard to come in and explain how he did it and perhaps more importantly how others can take advantage of this brave new world of decentralized finance and smart contracts. Hi, Richard. Welcome back. Karen, thanks very much for having me on this afternoon. Okay, so explain the background to the story. And I know you do have a YouTube channel where people can go and you maybe provide a link to that. But just give us the background. You spotted a house on the West Rand for 650000 decided you wanted to buy it but you didn't want to go to a bank to borrow it. So just pick the story up from there. Kieran, I actually did go to the bank and I was bombarded with the normal stuff. I spoke to my bank manager. He said to me, Richard, we're going to try and get you the loan. I filled out what I thought was a ridiculous amount of paperwork. I submitted my ID, my proof of residence and all the documents like you do. After a couple of days, they came back and they actually said to me, Richard, affordability is not the problem but you are overexposed. And for that reason, as responsible bankers, we are not able to give you a loan. And that really frustrated me because it wasn't so much the fact that they weren't giving me a loan. It was the fact that a banking or centralized institution now had the power to dictate how I continue with my investments. They had the power to dictate what I did economically. And that's what spurred me and got me looking at alternative ways to do this. So that's why I went and took a decentralized loan where I didn't have to ask anyone for permission, an absolute permissionless loan. And it was really so easy to use. And it's very, very exciting way of actually financing things. Okay, so just go through the steps of that. What, what was the first step This You got rejected kind of by the bank. And then you said, okay, uh, I'm, I'm going to find a way to borrow this money and buy this house. What was the next step? So you knew about Oasis.app. That's a decentralized finance platform. And they provide loans. Correct. It's decentralized loans. So you're not dealing with an individual. Maybe a nice way to explain it is it's artificial intelligence or a smart contract that lay out the criteria for the loan. So you can work within a set of rules and you know the outcome. It's not like asking your banker and hoping. You know what can and can't be done and it's very clearly defined. But it's maybe a good idea to mention that you can use this type of finance for a host of things. It's not only for property. Whatever you can imagine, you can use decentralized finance to finance. One thing or one caveat that I need to put in there, it is a collateralized loan, but being able to leverage your finance in this way opens a world of opportunity. Right. So that's one of the questions that I've had people, money web readers writing to me and say, yeah, this is fine. When you borrow money to buy a house from a bank, they're going to use the house that you haven't yet acquired as the collateral for that loan. In this case, you have to already have collateral and it must be in the form of a cryptocurrency. That is correct. So you do have to have collateral. But I would like to just say that a bank will not loan you money to buy a house. This is a lie that we've been told by society. You cannot go to the bank, get a loan and own a house. 
what the bank will do is they will buy the house and they will put you in as a tenant. In fact, you will be a bank slave for 20 years. If you cooperate and you pay your slave fee every single month, they will allow you to live in their house. Once you think that it is your house, that's where you make a grave mistake. And let's just take a silly example. If you want to paint that house pink and yellow polka dots, as an owner of that house, you should be able to do it. But you will definitely not be allowed to because it is not your house. It is the bank's house. So if you think that you can work and not miss a single payment for 20 years, because if you do, the bank will extend that time or they will swap you out of their house as a tenant and they will get another slave to come and pay the monthly premiums. So when people say, no, the bank will take the house as collateral, they will simply not take the house as collateral. They will, you will be a tenant in a house owned by the bank. So if you're using decentralized finance where you have to have collateral or you think that you are buying a house via the banking system, you not owning that house that the bank is offering you. You are simply a tenant in a house that society has tricked you into believing you own. Okay, so somebody who wants to do this kind of decentralized finance borrowing like you did, they have to get started in the crypto space, right? They have to start accumulating some crypto, be it Bitcoin or Ethereum or Litecoin, correct? Correct. And so a lot of people ask me how they start. So please don't get me wrong. I don't think investing in property via the traditional banking system is bad in any way, shape or form. In fact, I highly encourage it. And I think that there is a very specific way to do it. And that way would certainly not be to sign a 20-year mortgage agreement in a house that you are going to live that you can barely afford because in that situation you will not be able to buy any crypto because you'll simply be paying your monthly mortgage installment or as i like to call it your bank slave fees so let's be clear if you are going to finance properties finance properties and invest in properties that you have tenants in and you have a positive cash flow if you are wanting to get started as a young person in a financial system uh, invest in properties with the traditional banking finance way. Make sure you're not living in those properties because you probably can't afford it. And if you do, you would be cutting yourself out of the economy for 20 years while you're paying back that mortgage loan. But use the funds wisely to start accumulating a crypto portfolio. Okay, one of the readers who, MoneyWeb readers who wrote to me during the week said he tried a similar thing to you where he was borrowing this money. And of course, this money is borrowed in a stable coin called DAI, D-A-I. And that's backed one-to-one -one by the dollar. So, and then the fact is, what happened with you, you borrowed in DAI. So you had dollars, you shipped it across to South Africa, and you sold it on Altcoin Trader and converted it into RANDs, correct? Correct. Okay, and by the way, you also made about 4% on that leg because dollars uh, sell for a premium in South Africa, which is quite interesting. So you straight away 4% cut the, the house of the... The, the cost of the house by 4% right there. But this reader, he mentioned to me that he tried something like that. And what happened was the the smart contract under which he had borrowed was uh, valued in DAI. And the price of that DAI hit his smart contract trigger value where they basically liquidated his uh, his contract. And so he, he ended up losing his loan. Um, and he not, not losing his money completely, but his loan was recovered and he was paid out the balance. You're aware of these kind of things going on? Uh, Kieran, I certainly am aware of what happened um, in this case and in similar cases, because what we've got to understand is decentralized finance is in its infancy. And smart contracts are 
subject to bugs and unintended consequences when you write rules into smart contracts. So in this specific case, if I have the right case that you're talking about, it happened around about the 11th or 12th of March 2020. And what happened uh, exactly was that the Ethereum price plummeted on that day and a lot of loans were liquidated. But in addition to that, the Ethereum network was so congested that people couldn't get their transactions through, which meant people trying to top up their loans, there was waiting periods of hours and you couldn't get them topped up. But what made it critical is we have people in decentralized finance with these Oasis.app loans called keepers that auction um, that put in bids for loans that are being liquidated. I hope I'm not going to get too technical here. But basically what happened in very brief sort of a summary was that because the network was so congested that keepers couldn't get their bids in to liquidate the loans and one individual paying excessive fees managed to get through and get his bid in and bought all the liquidated loans at very, very low prices, which meant that the people lost basically the collateral that was still left in the platform at that time. Oasis.app and MakerDAO, which is the platform behind this, have since identified this as a problem. Bearing in mind it was not a hacking event, it was simply an unintended consequence of a congested network with a rapidly falling Ethereum price, and they have put measures in place that this wouldn't happen again. I personally, at that exact time, was... Um, I had a very heavy loan in um, on Oasis.app or MakerDAO, but because I had a good buffer of collateral, I wasn't subject to the same fate that your reader was. Right. So what is the smart contract requirement? If you want to buy a house for 650000 how much collateral do you have to put in? And what is a safe amount to avoid some eventuality like that? Look, I always like to only take out 50% of my collateral. But in the smart contract, you are allowed to take up to 66% of your collateral out. Now, you know, the risk is per individual. So you need to decide what you're comfortable with. I've got friends that are only happy taking out 30% because they are worried about the volatility of Ethereum. So you need to personally assess that, assess that risk and decide what percentage you're going to take out. Also, if you've been watching the market for some time, you might have a clear idea of the volatility that you expect going forward. And, you know, take your loan and put your buffer in accordingly. Right. Of course, one of the things we have seen with both Bitcoin and Ethereum is volatility is getting less over time. It is beginning to mature. It is absolutely beginning to mature. And I contribute that to one of the facts that we've seen a lot of institutional money flowing into the space. And of course, when the big institutions come to play, they are instrumental in sort of taming this beast, if we could put it that way. Right. So you mentioned a number of different opportunities or use cases here for this type of borrowing for the the would you say for the mass market it's not really at this point there's got to be more adoption of bitcoin and ethereum and crypto before this kind of lending becomes a, a widespread thing I, I would have to agree with you i don't think it's for the mass market certainly not at this stage but it is super easy to use. And everyone that I've encouraged to go and test it, even if you're testing it with, you know, sort of $100 or $10, uh, it doesn't matter. But to be aware and have an understanding of this technology is certainly going to put you at the forefront of what is coming. And that is why I am so passionate about educating people because there are huge 
um, potential advantages that you can have. What we can expect is a huge transfer of wealth as this alternative financial system starts to roll out. And if you are at the forefront, you will be able to take advantage and capitalize on that transfer of wealth. You don't see much of a future here for traditional banking. I don't think that in our lifetime, traditional banking will be phased out. And I think that you will have individuals that will have no use for it. Um, at this stage, I still use traditional banking reasonably uh, much because of you know the, the amount of business I have. But I certainly think in our children or our grandchildren's lifetime, traditional banking will be dead just the way the dinosaurs are. Okay, so you have to have collateral in order to take advantage of these things. So if anybody getting involved in that has to start participating, you've got to start buying, whether it's you know 500 rands worth of Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever, you've got to start accumulating some collateral, some capital before you can do this. Correct. So you do have to start accumulating what you mentioned, 500 rand a month or whatever we call rand cost averaging. And I am always telling people that I believe you should have a savings account, maybe move out of traditional savings account. Bearing in mind, I'm not a financial advisor. I'm just passionate about crypto and start putting a certain amount of money into crypto every month. Now, once you've got even a small base to work from, you can take loans and leverage your position to get better investments. In other words, let me give you an example. We've always been faced with a situation where the price of Bitcoin falls dramatically and everyone knows it's going to bounce back. But because we're in Bitcoin, we're going, oh, if only I had money, I would buy now. That is a prime use case for a decentralized loan because as soon as that uh, price rebounds, you'll be able to pay back your, bone, your loan and keep the profit. Now, of course, this is risky if you don't understand the markets, but the markets are becoming very cyclical and easy to read. So while I'd like to caution people and say that you need to be in the market for a while and have an understanding of these cycles before you try and do these things, it is certainly a massive, massive opportunity if you're inclined to pay attention to what is happening. Bitcoin is now around 300,000 Rand, which is back at where it was in December 2017. And a lot of people are saying, well, it's so expensive. I missed the boat. I probably should just sit this one out. What's your advice to them? I think that Bitcoin is like the Internet. You can choose to sit it out now, but in the future, you will have no choice. You will be involved in trading Bitcoin some way or shape or form. I certainly think we are still early to the game. And I know that might sound crazy. A 300,000 Bitcoin, in my opinion, is still a buy. I buy every single month with whatever spare money I have. I ran cost average in and I have been doing so. Whether Bitcoin's up or down is irrelevant. I'm a firm believer that we will see in the next uh, year or two years, Bitcoin at over a million rand and we will be looking back at these times where Bitcoin is at 300,000 going, if only I had bought at 300. <laughs> like a lot of people were saying when after December 2017, it, it dropped from $20,000 down to about $3,200. That's an 84% drop. And I think a lot of us were looking at it and saying, this can't go any lower. And of course, there were people who were saying it could go to zero. And uh, I mean, that, that now looks completely ridiculous. You know, that was a huge, huge bull run, and we had to see a correction. And I think that that is not the last time that that is going to happen. We're probably going to see Bitcoin going up parabolically again and crashing and repeating this entire cycle. But for a long-term holder, 
wherever you buy, if you're buying in on a regular basis, you're getting a good average price. And let's face it, crypto is the best performing asset year on year. So it's a no-brainer. For you the last decade. For the last decade. Yeah. Or in fact, ever. Ever, right. Okay. Uh People are interested in the fact, the story that was run in MoneyWeb last week, that you bought Bitcoin at $6 back in the dinosaur age of cryptos, and you sold out when it hit the equivalent of 10,000 rand. You must be kicking yourself. Kieran, I did. I sold over 90% of my Bitcoin. And, you know, certainly I, I have some regrets. Um, we've all made mistakes in crypto. If you got into crypto early and you don't have a list of mistakes and a list of really wild stories of how you made stupid money and lost stupid money, you know, but let's focus on the bright side. I'm a big believer of having an attitude of gratitude. And let's face it, I have a paid off house, a paid off car, and I'm debt free. So, be it, be it as it may, you, I'm in a very good position. You've done well out of crypto, as have a lot of people. Uh, and are there other coins that you're accumulating apart from Bitcoin? I'm a big believer in um, Bitcoin, Ethereum, gold, silver, and of course, property. These altcoins, I think that you have to exercise a reasonable amount of caution. Of course, there will be coins that will get give good gains and are going to be good buys. But if you are not familiar with the altcoins that are around Bitcoin and Ethereum are safe bets. Okay. You're also involved in the development of a stablecoin by the name of XZAR. That's X-Z-A-R. Describe why did you do that and explain what is a stablecoin. You can go and get more information on XR.co.za. A stablecoin is a cryptocurrency that is pegged one-to-one with a fiat currency. In this case, it's the RAND. Now, XR was primarily developed because we wanted to allow our clients, the clients on altcointrader.co.za, to move in and out of centralized ex- to decentralized exchanges. In other words, if you had RANDs on Altcoin Trader, you could seamlessly move onto a decentralized exchange and trade possibly for altcoins that weren't on, available on Altcoin Trader. But there is a host of use cases for a stablecoin. You can make peer-to-peer payments. You could run a school fate and let everyone use this coin. The fact that you can just hold up your phone and pay another person is really a new revolution. Now, of course, Altcoin Trader would be the ultimate gatekeeper at this stage. We're hoping that it will transition onto other exchanges. But if you wanted to cash out, let's say you had been paid for a couple of jobs that you have done and you wanted to be cashed out and converted back into, if we might call it real world money, you could go onto Altcoin Trader and simply withdraw that XR into your bank account and thereby converting it back into real South African rands. Okay, so, and of course, the, one of the other advantages is a 24-7 thing. So you can transmit, you don't have to wait for banking hours, you, you can do this any time of day or night, and it can be done, as you say, peer-to-peer. You don't need a bank sitting in the middle. Absolutely, you don't need a bank, you simply download an app. And of course, there's many, many cryptocurrencies apps that will be uh, will work with XR. XR has been running since about 2018, so a lot of people are currently using it. I know that we play poker once a month and we use XR because it's just an easy way to pay one another. How do you top up your wallet? How do you do that? You go from your, Do you have to do an EFT from your bank account? Well, you simply make a withdrawal from Altcoin Trader. So if you've got any funds in Altcoin Trader, whether it's Bitcoin, Ethereum, gold, silver, you can simply sell those coins and withdraw it to your um, Ethereum address. We will be rolling out other networks for the stablecoin, but that's how simple it is. Of course, if someone wanted to top up and they didn't have an account, you know, they'd simply say to me, hey, give me a, a thousand rand of XR and they would pay me the cash. 
that way we can get that into the system. But that would purely be for friends and, you know, for sort of poker nights and those type of things. But the principle remains intact. It is super easy to use and peer-to-peer. Could you also then convert that XR into DAI, which is a dollar-based stablecoin? Absolutely. You know, within the same app, like there's a lot of apps that I've got on my phone. Metamask is one of them that you can use to pay. But you can convert that into Ethereum, into DAI, into USDT, or into thousands of cryptocurrencies. So that is how easy and fluid a stablecoin can be. And does that not then circumvent the exchange control regulations in South Africa? No, and that is a, a very good argument. But at the end of the day, no funds, no fiat leaves the country because it is all kept by altcoin trader. So when you are entering the system, you are entering it with fiat at altcoin trader. And those South African rands can never leave the country. So cryptocurrencies can leave the country, but they had to be bought with rands and those rands are kept on altcoin trader. One of the criticisms of Bitcoin from the officials in the, in the Reserve Bank and other places is that when people buy Bitcoin, that's money leaving the country. Is that true? Well, that's also a hotly debated topic. And I'd have to say it is not true because in order for any Bitcoin to leave the country, it has to have first come into the country. Now, I can assure you that with Eskom's current electricity prices, that Bitcoin was not mined in South Africa because it is basically impossible to mine Bitcoin at a profit. In South Africa? In South Africa, Mm. yes. Which means that someone had to use the traditional financial system to send money out of the country, purchase Bitcoin, and then bring that Bitcoin back. So if you want to stifle the outflow of Bitcoin, you are indirectly stifling the inflow. And because Bitcoin isn't a native currency to South Africa, you cannot try and keep it in South Africa. So if you had to, let me give you a clear example. If you wanted to send a million rand out of the country and you deposited a million rand into altcoin trader, bought Bitcoin and sent the Bitcoin out, the million rand is still in South Africa because it's in altcoin trader. We are once again the gatekeepers of the South African rand. That Bitcoin that is flowing out of the country at that point was brought into the country. So it's not funds that are leaving South Africa. Could you not say the same thing about anybody buying U.S. dollars in the conventional manner? That do the, Did those dollars, in fact, ever come into South Africa? And so well, what is actually leaving the country? Because when you buy those dollars, you're paying in rands, and those rands stay in South Africa. That is a very good way of putting it. But look, I do not have the understanding of the fundamentals behind the way that the bank exchanges rands for dollars. So I think that I'm probably more qualified to, to discuss the crypto aspect, what happens Behind the scenes, the banking environment is not something that I'm an expert in. I mean, it's clear that we're facing a fairly radical overhaul of the entire financial system. When you start looking at these things like XR, which is a tokenized RAND, that you can go in with your mates and you play poker and you make bets using this this tokenized RAND. And then you can convert that into DAI, which is a U.S. dollar token. And you can also you can buy Bitcoin. It's it's almost like this thing has has escaped. It's it's, it's escaped the jail, right? You make a good point. And I have a lot of people saying to me, "Why has XR got value?" You know, because a lot of people say, "What is it backed by?" And besides the fact that it is backed by the rand, what if they cannot see that it is backed by the rand? Here's a very pertinent point to that: you can use this XR on decentralized international exchanges to buy cryptocurrency, Ethereum, Bitcoin, or as I mentioned before, a host of cryptocurrencies. And just by that fact, it has value. 
So back to your point with has it escaped? Well, it's certainly in use. There are a lot of um, exiles circulating and a lot of people are valuing it just as they value the rand. That's interesting. So you can actually go abroad and you can purchase things with rands, with this tokenized rand, XR. Maybe say going abroad is a difficult way to put it because remember cryptocurrency is location agnostic. So when you are trading, the crypto or the smart contracts don't care whether you're based in China, the US or South Africa. Those transactions are taking place on the blockchain. To say that you can use XR to buy something abroad would certainly be a stretch because at this stage you can only buy cryptocurrency and you can buy it from decentralized exchanges, which as I say is location agnostic. So I hope that throws some type of clarity on that. Right. Give us a final question here. Give us your view of the future and how crypto is going to change the world, the way we understand the world and the world of finance. Look, I think that many years ago we had a problem where we were trying to separate state from church because we had a situation where the church was using their power over the state to make decisions that weren't always the best. Now, many years down the line, we've got a situation where we need to separate finance from state because the state is using their financial power to bully and make decisions that are not always good. The state doesn't always have any consequences for bad decisions they make because of the financial power and backup that they have. And I think that if we could get to a stage where we could separate finance from state, we would get a government, and I certainly believe there's a place for government, that would be more inclined to serve the humanity and serve their country as opposed to just rule. So I think that what we are doing now is we are in the process of separating finance from state and that is going to change everything we know. It is going to be a lot fairer. It is going to allow people easy entry into the financial state. It is going to allow people that are entrepreneurs to actually thrive and not be encumbered by random rules. And it is also going to allow the government to serve us and control the population in a much better, safer manner. You talked about banking for the masses. Now, this is quite interesting when it comes to crypto because it's something that the banks have attempted to with some degree of success. And a lot of people in South Africa have bank accounts now. How does this change with crypto? You know, do we start unbanking the bank? I think that's a term that you've used before. In other words, we're pulling people out of the banking system. Do I understand that right? Well, initially when we started our company, we started using terms like um, bank the unbanked. You know, it caused a lot of um, people to get nervous, especially traditional financial people, the, the, the bigger banks. And that didn't work because, you know, the bank has a certain amount of power and they can start to restrict the um, way cryptocurrency is, is flowing. So a lot of people have started to coin the, ta- the term, they are going to unbank the banked, which means that cryptocurrency and the alternative financial system is going to start launching products that make it, that put you in a situation where you don't have to have a bank account. Now, certainly we're not at that stage yet, but we are rapidly heading there. And I know that there's a lot of pioneers, there's a lot of people, radical people that are living off the grid, unbanked and using cryptocurrency. And they are actually managing to live reasonably good lives and partake in all of the financial products that are available. You know, they're able to buy houses, buy cars, you know, pay school fees and everything without having accounts. Right. So in this system of unbanking the bank, you would have, I guess, on your smartphone, some kind of uh, crypto wallet. You, you would not need a bank account. 
Correct. You wouldn't need a bank account. I think that even um, credit cards are certainly very old-fashioned. The fact that you know you have to have this card, everything will be done on your mobile or on your device, and there is no need for a card or a bank account. It is simply going to be apps where you can transact freely in the new alternative financial system. One of the things we spoke about before was uh, trying to solve this problem. How does somebody, you know, who doesn't have any collateral, doesn't have any savings, how do they get started in this space? It's, it's always uh, a lot of the readers are writing about that or commenting about that. And it, it really is making a start. It's, you know, if it's 500 rand a month that you put into, into some crypto or you start some kind of savings, right? But here's a reckless suggestion, potentially reckless suggestion. You know, if you have a house and it's, it's got equity in the house, would you use some of that to buy crypto? Kieran, not only would I, I have done that in the past. So I understand what you're saying. It is a reckless suggestion. But once you start having a sound understanding of what we're actually doing with these two current financial systems, it starts to become the obvious way out. And let me just back that up with, with my thoughts there. If you're a young person and you're starting out, if you save rands, you will be punished because it just takes one look at the charts to understand how the rand cannot hold its value, the rand, the dollar, or any fiat currency. So if you do not spend that currency immediately, it'll be worthless. Worthless. Worthless, yeah. correct. Unlike cryptocurrency, where if you start to buy cryptocurrency and you are thrifty, you have a saving nature, you will be rewarded because it is a deflationary currency or crypto asset. So where you had no chance getting started previously because whatever you save, whatever work you tried to save, a store of value was non-existent. Now, everything has been turned on its head and cryptocurrency is deflationary. So if you do save and you are inclined to save, you will be rewarded. So do you own any shares? I used to own shares, but a couple of years ago, I took a decision to um, you know, cancel what I deemed to be traditional financial instruments that were very, very disappointing. Shares, RAs, insurance. So I do still have some of those uh, products because you can't just cancel them. They seem to linger, but I don't have any shares anymore. So are you pretty much all in on crypto, gold and silver? I believe that crypto is a form of shares and we will see shares going and starting to be supplied on networks like synthetics and people will be able to trade and buy shares. Or, but or portions of shares, tokenized portion, shares. Tokenized yeah. shares. Hmm. And of course, you won't need to be beholding to a broker. You'll be able to freely transact and that will be a whole new um, segment of this alternative financial system, which we can look forward to in the near future. That's a fascinating discussion. Thank you very much, Richard D'Souza, for coming in. Kieran, thanks very much for having me on.